welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Thomas. I'm looking forward to talking with you. I know you from, um, well, I photographed your wedding several years ago, you and Kate. And you caught my attention then because of your devotion to um, the Christian faith and and your Roman Catholic. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, your devotion to the Christian faith through the Roman Catholic tradition. Mm -hmm. And, And then I've recently just been looking up information on you a little bit through Facebook and through your, the website and stuff. And, um, you have a master's degree in catechetics and evangelization. Am I saying those right? Yes, sir. Um, you're an author, author of a couple of books Mm -hmm. and, um, the way you, um, uh, what you say about yourself on Facebook, I'm an author and a missionary, husband and a father. I love Jesus and his Catholic church. And then you're also a member of um, the Catholic Speakers Organization. Anything else you'd like to say as far as just who Thomas Wirtz is? That's that's a dangerous question and open my question. I, I mean, I'm a, a man saved by grace and... Uh, a father, I think you mentioned that we have five little ones, so uh, son of God. So yeah, those are the most important things. Yeah, um, trying to trying to do my best uh, to be faithful to him. So yeah, did you grow up in the Catholic faith? I did. Born and raised cradle Catholic is the term okay. the term we use. Um, but it wasn't really until till college, the end of my college time, that I lived as as a Christian. So, so, um, what happened, what made the difference or transition from, um, it being kind of more of your, what you were raised in to being something that was more, um, important to you personally? Yeah, it was, it was when you live apart from what you're made for, um, at least that's what I was doing. I was living apart from a relationship with the Lord. You know, my faith was 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 around me, right? I, I grew up in a, in a in a decent Christian home, and um, but again, as you mature, as as you go out into the world, especially in high school and college, there's a lot thrown at you, and so I kind of fell prey to the sirens of the world, calling me to try the things that they promised would be fulfilling, and I did that a lot of that. And and not an unusual story. A lot of unfortunately, our young people are doing that now. Um, but I eventually got to the point where we're just waking up on a Saturday afternoon, my junior year of college and realized this is not fulfilling. This is a frustrating life. Like this isn't, this isn't happiness. This isn't joy. This isn't anything that lasts. It's a thrill for a night. Um, and you tried again and you tried again and it just keeps ending, um, with a lower crash. And, and so I, I had been blessed to be, um, at, at a Catholic college, with a lot of very faithful men. And my older brother was there a couple years ahead of me. And the witness of these men um, was profound because they they lived their Christian life and they lived a sense of, of discipleship. And they had joy. At least it seemed like they had joy. And and I thought, you know what, it's it's time to try that 
because everything else isn't working. And it's amazing when you open your heart to the Lord, um, he comes right in and, and he wants you to experience the fullness of joy. That's what he calls us to. That's what, what we were made. We were made for him. And so finally, when I, when I, I guess, surrendered to him and it, you know, it's a slow process. It takes a while to, to be freed from attachments to things and sin and various stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I said, okay, Lord, I, you've been on my shoulder this whole time and I haven't given you pride of place, if anything. So I'm ready to try that. And, and he did the rest. So, so, um, as far as like trying that, what does that look like? Um, like what was your, when you decided, well, I'm going to try this. Um, what was your first step in that? What was the try? Yeah. The first step was starting to, um, to pray. So to, to converse with our Lord and as Catholics, we have a strong devotion. If, if, as I think you're probably well aware, you've done a lot of Catholic weddings to, to the mother of Jesus. Um, and so to, to come to her and ask her to help walk me to her son, right? Help me to be a better follower of, of Christ. And, and so that was something that you grow up. It's, it's a, there's a cultural element to it, um, which can be empty if, if there's not a lived faith. But, but at this point in my life, I think our lady, um, was really, was really there helping me just, I want to take you to my son. And, and so I knew that it was a comfort and I think, um, the Lord blessed that. So starting to pray the rosary, but then also, um, so for, for Catholics, we have a lot of unique things. This, the, the sacraments of sacrament of confession is one of those where we, we, um, we go to a, to a priest believing that he's acting in the person of Jesus Christ and confess our sins. Um, so I did that, went back to, to just trying to be, be made anew, right? We're made anew. Um, through confession and, and being made clean and just starting to then then rid myself of things that that drew me away from the Lord. So my lifestyle, right? It was a lot of alcohol was involved, you know, the, the party stuff in college. So so stop doing that. Um, at least at least that was what I was was going for. I don't think I was completely perfect, of course, but uh, but trying to, to, to be sober, trying to just live a life of virtue, trying to imitate our Lord. So those were, I think, the big things that first year, um, and just availing myself to His grace more, right? And I think some of that is just avoiding, <laughs> avoiding the things that He doesn't want, avoiding living the way that He doesn't want me to live, right? He, he the Lord calls all of us to a, to live properly, and I was living in a disordered way, so trying to adjust those things. Um, I got into Bible, I got in two Bible studies, so just trying to immerse myself in the Word. In, in the living word of God, which pierces the heart and, and trying to let that, that happen. So I think those are some of the big things. Of course, then reading certain books and just really immersing all aspects of forming my mind, forming my heart um, and trying to then through, through, through striving to virtue, make sure that my emotions and passions were aligned properly. So I don't know if that gets to your question or not. Yeah. Um, the, the practice of, Catholics with confession to a priest has always kind of appealed to me. Um, I think it might be in James where it's confess your sins to one to another. Right. And um, I, um, so that I, so we have um, in our congregation, you know, conf- times of confession as a congregation, you know, 
but there's not like just verbalizing it out loud to somebody that, you know, there's something appealing about that. Um, For me, um, the, I grew up Protestant um, and then, um, but it wasn't something that just meant much to me. And I grew rebellious in my teenage years, but um, I came to a, a low point in my life where um, I was just disgusted with who I was morally. And um, I was by myself and I just, uh, I turned to God and just asked him to save me from what I had become. And um, I remember just a, a load of guilt just being lifted from me. I wasn't expecting anything, but um, I felt just as light as a feather after that. And my um, my uh, lifestyle didn't all just change overnight, um, but there was definitely something different. Um, so in your um, experience, was there, um, you know, a, a particular time of like um, just the, the whole thing about sin and then being forgiven and um, realizing that and just that making an impact on you or, or is that kind of um, rather than like that one pivotal time, is it more like a, a, a regular thing through your practice of confession and so forth? No, absolutely. I was going to say every time I go to confession, um, even if I haven't done anything really significantly bad, <laughs> we would call them mortal sins in the Catholic Church that kind of kill the life of grace in, in our soul. But every time um, you get a sense of relief. Uh, and that's, I mean, I, and I think you spoke to it, right? There's something in our humanity that, that just appreciates the ability to speak. I mean, we do that even in our relationships, like the ability to ask forgiveness of our spouse or our children or our friend and to be hurt, to be, to hear the words, I forgive you. It's just, there's something in it that's just healing. That's profound. And so every time I get to do that with our Lord, um, and even if it's, you know, if, if, you know, technically as Catholics, we only are required to go to the sacrament of confession if we've committed mortal sin um, or once a year. And so, you know, even if it's a confession in my house, just saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins this day, there's still a sense of, of yeah, relief every single time. Mm-hmm. But that, that first, that first time my senior year of college, um, you know, I'd gone to confession as a child, but as an adult, really coming with, with profound, um, uh, sorrow of my sins, right? Contrition. What there's what's called a general confession as a practice of devotion as Catholics. So if you're just coming back, you know, to, to the faith and living the Christian life, you know, a general confession is trying to think through your entire life. So it's a longer, it might be an hour long where you're just, you're going through everything, just trying to lay it all out. And it's just a beautiful, just, just taking the beast of burden off your shoulders. You know, our Lord is, uh, you know, burden is, is light when we give it to him. And so I think that's, we give the sin to him and he, and he forgives it. And so, so I remember that with a beautiful old Benedictine monk, Father Bruce, who's now with our Lord, um, just kind of walked with me that, that year as a, as a spiritual director, just trying to challenge me, help me to hear what the Lord, the Lord's voice and to understand as, as a young man, again, growing up in the faith, but just, you know, when you grow up with something or you hear something and it's not super interesting to you, there's pieces of it that remain, but but you don't fully understand something until you actually 
seek to engage it. At least, at least in my life, that's how it was. And so he was just able to walk with me and help me kind of understand what, what does it mean to be a Christian, man? How do you do this? Right. How do you, how do you be a disciple? Cause he's not here walking right now. Right. So like go fishing with him, go camping with him. Like the apostles did that stuff with him as he was present here. Um, and yes, he's present here spiritually and all those other things, but I don't see him right now. So how do I follow him? And, but yeah, the, the relief of just confessing the sins every single time. And I try to do it every two weeks to a month if I can, um, just to practice that. Cause I know that the Lord just gives me, gives me his grace every single time in new ways, just to continue to heal me and transform me. So, um, yeah, you're, you were mentioning, um, that Jesus isn't here with us in the physical body. Um, not long ago, you know, it just kind of stood out to me. I was reading in the gospel according to John and he said, um, it is something along the lines. It is good if I go away because then I will send the comforter or the helper, you know? So evidently, even though he's not here in the physical body, some, in some way, it's better that he's not, but rather that we have him spiritually or, or something along those lines, I guess. Um, what, so what I want to ask you, I was just kind of thinking, yeah. well, what would I like to bring up to Thomas? Um, <laughs> so my first question is like, who is Jesus? And I know there's like the catechism type of question, I mean, answer to that or something from a creed, but um, yeah. just from your um, experience of of uh, being a disciple of Jesus, um, how would you describe Jesus? Mm, that's a great question. It's a, it's a beautiful question uh, because you, yeah, you don't want to just recite a line to recite a line, but he's my savior. Um, he's my king. Uh, he's my God. And uh, he's my friend. And, and then from there, obviously, the bigger he's, he's the, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God. Um, but yeah, my savior, my King, my God, my friend, I'd say. Okay. Um, when it comes to like the beauty of Jesus, I guess, or the beauty of the Christian faith, just mm-hmm. wondering what your thoughts were. Um, I was recently listening to a, um, he's, um, an icon carver. Um, he's with like the Eastern Orthodox um, okay. tradition. And um, he was talking about like when he encounters um, people, he doesn't, who are, when he's, and he's talking about the Christian faith, he doesn't necessarily anymore, um, you know, r- rely on apologetic, uh, rational arguments so much, um, mm. but rather he, he just tries to show them the beauty of it and that it's um, to show them, you know, why it's compelling and, and that type of thing. And I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting. And um, there is something, you know, uh, beautiful about, um, about it all, but is that something you've thought um, much about? And if, what, what is it to you? What do you see in Jesus or the Christian faith that is um, just compelling and beautiful. Yeah, that's a profound question. Lots of elements to that. I I firmly believe in what you just said that in this day and age today, our culture um, to change hearts. I think beauty, 
and goodness are going to lead the way. Like proclaiming truth, it, we have to do it, but but it, it, it lands on a whole different set of beliefs and ears and hearts, right? I think, you know, the majority, the, not the majority, the majority I think are still Christian, but the, the loud voice in the culture is is coming from the, the radical far left ideology, not politically, but ideologically um, anti-Christian worldview is it's coming from a whole different set of fundamental beliefs. And so it's hard, you know, it's when you have a conversation about certain, certain beliefs, it's, it's like you're coming from different planets because you're fundamentally coming from a very different worldview Mm -hmm. and understanding, you know, and so it makes it very difficult to dialogue. And, and so I think beauty is a, is a softer way to open people's eyes to something transcendent. Mm -hmm. And the Christian life is a beautiful life. Hmm. I mean, it's it, because it's a life of peace. It's a life of joy, right? The gifts of the Holy spirit are beautiful when someone actually stops and looks not to mention the art and, and, you know, photography, like you, like you have done for our family multiple times, like beautiful things. Um, they do, they do stir something in us because again, we're made for the trans for a relationship with something transcendent. Goodness is, I think a similar, it reflects beauty, it reflects a harmony, it reflects an order that speaks to, again, um, how we were designed to live. And so I think, yeah, you walk in, you see beautiful icons or beautiful churches or just nature. I'm in the, you know, the foothills of the Rocky mountains. I mean, it's just the beauty of, of what God has created um, and then how man can are, can capture beauty, I think, is is something that will hopefully change the world. Beautiful music as well. But the Christian life, yeah, is a reflection of, if it's lived well, it's a reflection of Jesus, um, who is God, who is love. And so, of course, that's going to reflect something that's profoundly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, we talk about the, the to, to be an evangelist, right, to share the gospel um, the first place to do that effectively is in our own witness, right? The, the, if we don't, if our witness isn't aligned to what we're saying, then we're, 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 we don't live a consistent life. We don't live an integrated life. And so, but our witness um, can be very beautiful, you know, and you have, you have a number of children. Um, we have five small children. Maybe we'll catch you one day, but, you know, I think just even that, is pretty different and it's chaotic and wild, but there's joy, there's life, there's beauty. And I know we have some of our friends, um, that, that see that they're maybe not living the Christian life or they're not sure, or they're, they're young in it. And they're, you know, kind of, they they haven't fully, fully jumped in, maybe don't have the same openness to life, but they see it. And there's something that resonates in them. Like that's just beautiful. the, The children that you're bringing. And so I, I do think, Living our life in accord with our Lord is how we will live joy. And joy is a beautiful thing that's contagious. But in general, I think beauty and goodness will change hearts right now in this world. Yeah. Um, And we need more of that. Yeah. Um, I guess to be a witness is to like being experiencing something that you want others to see, um, like uh, experiencing God's faithfulness, I I suppose. Yeah. and it being on display, um, experiencing the the joy, as you said, of the Christian life, and it, mm-hmm. um, and then being transparent where others can see it, and so forth. I mean, yeah. If the great, if the greatest, 
if the greatest place in existence is to be in front of our Lord in heaven, right, then someone that is a witness to, to Christ, that is a reflection of him here on earth, is going to be a profound, beautiful thing. I don't know if you've seen the, the TV series, The Chosen. Oh, I have, yeah. But I think I love that. And I think one of the things I love about it is they are able to capture on camera people's encounters with, with Jesus in such profound and moving ways. Like when the woman is up on the roof as they drop the paralytic down or um, I don't remember all the different, but that was one that I remember was profound. St. Matthew, when he finally has that encounter at the end of this, of season one, like I think, and, and while we're not Jesus, we, we are, he's alive in us. If, if we've, um, if we've given our life to him, right. And we've come to him. And so I think as we seek more of him and let him seek us and transform us, we reflect him more because he's alive in us. That's what grace is. And so, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's pointing to what is the greatest of all realities, which is being with our Lord in heaven. So, um, so, you know, it's a couple of different things I was just thinking of. Um, one is, um, well, what gives you confidence? Like you, you probably engage with a lot of young people who are trying to figure out what they believe and what, you know, and so forth in life. Um, if they were to ask you like, so you like, so you like the Christian faith, it's compelling to you, but, um, what gives you confidence that, um, that it's, it is reality rather than this is just a naturalistic world and we're just telling ourselves stories, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, sure. And I, I do have, I do get encounters on social media that are often with some people that are, they think I just believe in a myth and, mm-hmm. you know, that you know, every woman should be able to kill their babies and all kinds of different just stuff that I completely disagree with. And I think there's maybe three things. Number one, I think everything lines up intellectually, right? Like um, that, that there's a, that there's a creator. It just lines up with how did, how did everything get here? The big bang, however, like there's a, someone that started everything. So I think all those intellectual pieces just, they make complete sense to me. So I'm convicted intellectually okay. of it experientially. Like I've encountered, um, I've encountered our Lord and I've li- I'm, I understand what joy is and where it comes from. Cause I've lived apart from it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've lived both worlds. Um, and so experientially, I know that one, one brings joy and there's, there's got to be something to that. Um, and then I guess the third thing on, on more of a natural level is I'm surrounded by faithful people as well. Right. So I have, a, I have a strong community of other believers. I mean, I, I work for a, a Catholic ministry organization. So, you know, this office building is full of amazing people that are seeking our Lord on a daily basis. And that, that does help. Like if I was stranded on a, on an Island alone and, the middle of New York city or, or somewhere we're just surrounded by a lot of people that didn't believe. I'm sure that would be harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but being surrounded by amazing people also helps build that confidence. Yeah. So I think those are three, three initial things I could think of. Okay. Well, thanks. That's good. Um, and you also mentioned heaven being before God in heaven. So I know we have scenes in the scriptures of, of the throne in heaven, like in revelation and so forth. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know. Um, that's so different than. Um, so we also have, you know, the story of 
the new heavens and the new earth and like the um, making of all things new. And there's some things in the scriptures that remi- that make me think of kind of life continuing on um, as it should have been in the beginning, only more glorious. But um, mm-hmm. there being, um, for example, um, St. Paul says, you know, these things abide, faith, hope, and love. Well, mm-hmm. why would there be, um, why would faith continue on and hope continue on if we reach some kind of a static type of place? It seems like that, you know, you you want faith and hope when you're in the journey. So it makes me kind of wonder if like the age to come is like still journeying forward and um, if it's... Um, I don't know that I think that appeals to me a little bit more than, you know, eternity in a worship service or something like that. You know, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or You don't want an eternal cup of Starbucks in heaven. Uh, well, that's, that's very interesting. And the way, the way you're, the way to look at that, that line from St. Paul, because it was uh, my, my understanding in, in the, the, the belief would be, okay, if you're in front of the Lord, there is no longer any need for the theological, theological virtues of faith and hope because you're there, you're encountered him. Mm-hmm. And faith and hope are a gift from, from the Lord, uh, which I guess would be the fourth thing going to the confidence, just simply his, the gift of faith, right, from our Lord. Yeah. Um, but I guess I, I was assuming that. But yeah, so I, my full wholehearted belief is this, our life on earth is our pilgrim journey. Um, it's our choice. And at the end of our life, our choice has been made. Um, if we want to be with him or if we don't C.S. Lewis's great divorce is a, is a really cool visual of kind right. of, kind of that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, heaven is, it's the ultimate ecstasy that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's interesting cause it's, I, I love your idea of it's, I, I really hope it's not as, as much as I love going to mass or whatever. Um, I hope it's not the same experience because I'm on this earth, still broken, still, still get bored, still get distracted because I'm still a, a messed up human being. Um, but hopefully, if Lord willing, I get to heaven, um, that everything has been been made anew, like you mentioned, and my whole existence is aligned properly. And um, seeing the face of God. There will be no greater thing on earth, no greater thing in reality um, than that moment. And all of your being is just locked in to this ecstasy. And, the, you know, there's stories of the of Catholic saints throughout history that have had these moments here on earth. St. Thomas Aquinas was one of the well-known ones, St. Teresa of Avila, that have had moments of ecstasy. And I don't know, I don't know how familiar I was with St. Thomas Aquinas, but he wrote, he wrote, um, the Summa Theologica is his famous work Hmm. where he took a lot of Aristotle and Plato and these Greek philosophers. And he basically infused the Christian belief into them and kind of elevated them. So he built off the the wisdom that they had. And then he created this amazing work that's still read all over the, all over the world today and studied. And he, towards the end of his life um, had had a moment of ecstasy with our Lord in prayer where the Lord just opened up heaven to him. And when he came, when he came, you know, when, when that ended, there's it, it recorded that he said, everything I have written is like nothing. 
compared to what I saw. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think gives gives you a, gives me a sense of okay, heaven will be something that we can't even fathom, can't even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be that good. Yeah. So, so yeah, I do think again, heaven, all that will exist is love because God is love and there's no need for faith and hope anymore. But it's again, that's interesting. Um, I, I don't fully understand what maybe Paul was, was referring to in that moment, but yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. Well, um, why Roman Catholic for you? Yeah. Good, good question. So, um, I'll, I'll try to give a shorter answer and then you can pick apart various things, but throughout, throughout the old Testament, throughout salvation history, um, there's key moments where our Lord makes covenants with, with our, our forefathers, Adam, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, and the promises he makes, especially to Abraham, I think in Genesis 12, there's three key promises, he promises land, he promises a worldwide blessing. Um, and he promises, um, oh gosh, I've just been studying this. There's three promises there. Um, and you see in Moses, the promised land is fulfilled. And in David, there's this kingdom. And then I think in Christ, it's the, it's the blessing. And so it's interesting because with, with King David, there's, there's a covenantal blessing and a kingship that's created. And then as you go out throughout the, the captivity of the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the, the Romans, right? The Jews are just in exile for, I think, 500 some years. And Matthew's gospel starts in chapter one with a genealogy, which is super boring, but super significant because what Matthew is, he's, he's speaking to the Jews of his time and he's, he's connecting the Davidic covenant to Christ as a son of David, right? So he's connecting what's been in exile for 500 years, the Davidic kingdom, right? The kingship, that Jesus is a son of David. He's part of the Davidic line. And so Christ as the king proclaims the very first proclamation. It's in Mark's gospel is repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so this concept of kingdom um, is significant. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am to his apostles? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood does not reveal this, but my father in heaven and on the, on you, so he changes his name to Peter, which means in Petros, which means rock. On this rock, I build my church and I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is a reference to Isaiah 22. Because in the Davi- the old the old covenant Davidic kingdom, um, the keys of the kingdom meant authority, and there was always an albait in Hebrew or a second a prime minister. And so Jesus, so again, what what I believe is Jesus is making Peter his prime minister of the kingdom, which is the church on earth. And so throughout history, then from day one in Acts of the Apostles, that was the start of the church. And then we saw we saw throughout the years around 1000, you mentioned the Eastern Orthodox. There was a split between the East and the Western churches. Very close, but there's kind of a, an authoritative split. And then with Martin Luther, we see the Protestant kind of reformation. And now we're looking at 50 plus thousand denominations of Christianity, all believing slightly different things. And so um, beautiful faith and people sincerely seeking our Lord. But I know in John 17, Jesus explicitly prays that God, may they be one as we are one. So I know our Lord wants us to be unified. And I, I believe that the, the Roman Catholic faith is, the, is that kingdom that our Lord s- spoke of in the Gospels. 
and it's the fullness of what he's trying to teach us. You mentioned that Jesus himself says, it's better that I leave so that one may come after me, the Holy Spirit, which is guiding us, which is, which is transforming us on a daily basis. So that's, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell, kind of the belief that, that, you know, that, that this is how our Lord has, has set it up. And that's why the Pope is such a significant figure in the Roman Catholic church. Cause he's the, he's the, um, the successor of St. Peter as that prime minister that guides the faithful on earth. Um, that's why it's so important too, to have interfaith dialogues, different denomin, you know, interdenomination, I should say, not interfaith, but interdenomination dialogues. Um, and we get a great chance to do that on college campuses, working with some of the, the, the really impactful evangelical Protestant ministries and just to be able to be as brothers, just to kind of, Hey, let's, let's talk about some of these things and let's celebrate the fact that we love Jesus Christ together. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense. It's, and I know something others don't believe, but that's, that's kind of where the belief stems from at least. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it hinges a lot on, um, Jesus's words to um, St. Peter there, um, and then the supremacy of him. Um, so I, I don't know um, so much what to make of that. Um, in Ephesians, um, St. Paul says that, um, you know, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, you know, so, um, there it's kind of a, a multitude, it seems like. Um, but, um, anyway, that's a good, that's helpful for understanding, um, where you're coming mm-hmm. from. And it's kind of a helpful for understanding, um, why you differ from Eastern, Eastern Orthodox too, because I think, um, it's, um, the whole matter of, um, uh, Peter and the Pope and so forth, I think is the. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a <clears throat> disagreement. I think there's a lot of history to it. So I don't want to overly simplify it because I don't fully understand it, but I think it got to a hinge point in about 1000 AD over the line in the creed. Um, and there was a, there was a disagreement on the proper understanding and translation of that. And then again, it, it, I think a lot of it comes down to authority, right? Like who has, you know, the, the authority to fully interpret scripture and the Christian faith. And right now we're living in a very complicated world with transgender stuff and a lot of different bioethical moral questions. And so how do we, how do we understand that? Did our Lord just leave it to us? No, he sent the Holy spirit, but still we have so many different opinions of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, yeah, that the Ephesians that he built it on the, the prophets and the apostles, which would be, Again, we, if, 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 you know, as you read Paul's letters, he's establishing his disciples as the bishops, Timothy and Titus, right? And so, again, the belief is the bishops now, the Catholic bishops, are the descendants of the apostles. So there was an office created, which is why in, in, Acts, in Acts of the Apostles, when Judas has committed suicide, they cast lots to replace his office, mm-hmm. Right. And so Matthias is selected then to be one of the 12 apostles. So there's a sense of office and goes back to that Albaite and in the primacy of Peter. Um, so yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting. And it's, I, I appreciate you asking because um, it's, you, you don't want it to be a, a source of division. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people disagree, there, there's a sense of, well, I guess, I guess there's a sense of division when we disagree on, on certain things, but uh, um 
Um, but it's great to have the dialogue. Well, how can someone who really can't be Catholic, I guess, due to a difference in belief, um, for yeah. example, as a Protestant, I don't believe exactly the same as the other people in mm-hmm. my congregation. Um, but that's, it's kind of okay. Um, as long as we believe on the essentials so that we, um, are all can be considered Christians. You know, there are some beliefs that would separate you from Orthodox Christianity, but, um, from what I understand with the, the Catholic, uh, uh, faith, um, you, um, you do need to believe, um, the, the doctrine and, and, and there's, um, so there's certain things, you know, I've come across that I just, um, you know, I, I guess if I was going to become Catholic, I could just say, well, I'm just submitting to the authority and I, I wouldn't believe this, but this is what, you know, I'm looking not just to the scriptures as an authority, but I'm looking to the church as an authority. So I'll just uh, yep. accept that on that, those grounds. But for those who are not there and, and um, mm-hmm. are not Catholic, how can, um, what's a way to get involved with Catholics to enjoy fellowship with them? For example, we have like, a cat, I'm in a Catholic parish. There's a Catholic church right up here. Um, it... Um, you know, I, I can't really go and um, be a part of confession, um, and there's a lot of things I can't do. But as someone who's not Catholic, is there a way to engage with other Christians and enjoy them and and be mutually encouraged um, on the basics of Christianity? If you know, even though we're we're kind of different as far as tradition. No, that's a great question. I've got uh, my kids go to a to a public charter school. And, um, one of my, uh, my son's classmates, his, his dad is a Protestant and, and an assistant kind of pastor. And so super excited though, cause we, we both love the Lord and our kids can, can kind of grow up at least being disciples of our Lord. And so we're looking forward to getting the families together and, and I think he and I will go and, and drink some beer or some whiskey or something and, and talk theology and, and, uh, you know, try to keep it civil, but, but a great, I mean, what a beautiful thing to be able to talk about truths and deep and transcendent truths. Even if we end up not agreeing on certain things, I think it's going to be fun to, to have the fellowship. So I think it's, you know, our neighbor, one of our beautiful neighbors is an Episcopalian 80 year old woman. Mm -hmm. And, but we just break bread with her as often as we can. She's getting her second, uh, shot for the vaccine for the COVID vaccine tonight. So my wife's making her dinner, bringing her over dinner. And so I think looking for moments to just live life. Yeah. Um, Cause in the end it's, <clears throat> you know, it, yeah, as Catholics, it's hard. Cause if you're not a Catholic and you go to mass, um, it's a really unique way to worship. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe, we believe that the, the bread becomes the bo- the actual body of Christ, yeah. right. Transubstantiation. So if you don't believe that you're not supposed to take in it. Right. So it's, it's kind of a hard, it's not really a, Hey, come on and don't participate kind of a thing. So, but I think the, the meals, anytime meal, or even a Bible study, you know, is, is a great opportunity to, to invite Catholics in just to, to be able to read the works. There's a lot in the scriptures that we still, um, th- you know, agree on in terms of, of what it means, or, or even if we disagree, it's okay. Cause it's not a, maybe a fundamental tenant, if that makes right. sense of like, well, if you don't believe this, that's fine. You can 
you know, Catholics can disagree on certain elements of scripture. Um, at least I think that's, I think I'm, I don't want to overspeak, but, but yeah, so I think meals, fellowship, your neighbors, if you have a Catholic neighbor, um, I think part of the, part of the, the really fun thing is we work, you know, working with like crew, formerly Camp, Campus Crusade for Christ or um, InterVarsity or some of these really big, you know, because we focus on college campuses. So some of these really big ministries on college campuses um, to be able just to sit down. And we, you know, I've done this with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, some of these staff and just talk about, hey, we we believe you have to give your life to Jesus as well. Like we believe that, you know, surrendering and having a relationship with Christ is fundamental. Mm-hmm. And when they, you know, for some reason, a lot of Protestants seem to not think Catholics believe that. Maybe it's because there's some bad Catholics out there. But once they understand that, it's like, holy cow, my brother. And it's really cool. And it's really fun then to be able to walk with them. And so I think um, for any of your listeners that that maybe had a perception that Catholics aren't really Christians or don't believe that you have to have a relationship with God that's not with Christ, that's not true. The, the church has always taught that. Mm-hmm. Um, the significance of, of a friendship or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is right. fundamental. So, yeah, I think that there are stereotypes. Um, I yeah. don't know necessarily what they are from Catholics toward Protestants, from Protestants toward Catholics. Um, I think the most common stereotype might be that um, Catholics believe they have to work um, t- mm-hmm. to get to earn salvation. Earn salvation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, it doesn't seem quite that simple to me from from the scripture um, that um, just the um, importance of overcoming, as the letters to the churches, you know, in the beginning of Revelation speak of the importance of overcoming, or um, or Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaks about the hard road that leads to life. It's it's not quite so um it seems a little simplistic to me um uh, that re- that stereotype toward c- catholics but anyway do you do you want to address that um i mean i, I could I, I, the other the other big one is we worship mary right yep. um uh so i i think with the with earning heaven i mean there, there's probably a good reason why that stereotype exists because some catholics might speak um, in incorrectly about it, but the, so the big difference is we don't believe in sola fide and that once you, once you surrender to Christ, you're saved. Um, we believe you surrender to Christ and then now grace is back in your life, but it's a daily decision and the Lord has not removed our freedom and that we still, until the day we die can choose to change our mind. And so it's this constant journey, but no, we are saved by grace, but it's clear in the scriptures that talk about, um, faith without love is dead. Mm-hmm. And so the, the concept of works isn't like we have to do things. It's that, no, we actually have though to live as disciples. We actually have to reflect love or our faith was just an empty proclamation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where there's the confusion of earning it versus being faithful and, and loving, which our Lord has called us to. Cause if, cause he's clearly says, even Paul, you mentioned, right. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're not living love, then we're not reflecting God. We're actually not being faithful as disciples. So right. do we actually want to have a relationship with him? So that's kind of the, the issue there. And then the worshiping Mary is, is, um, 
Well, we don't, but we do go to her and ask her for her prayers. Mm-hmm. And Revel- you mentioned Re- Revelation 12, the really cool image of, of, of Our Lady with the, the, the crown and battling Satan. And so, again, it goes back to the Old Testament structure of a kingdom and that the queen was the mother of the king because they had multiple wives. And so Jesus, as, as the king, the new king, the new Adam, the new Moses, the, the new David, um, Mary is, is our queen in terms of that. And so there's a, she's not God. We don't worship her, but we do have a devotion to her as, as the mother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, so as far as the salvation, you believe you can fall away from the faith, but it's not so much like you haven't measured up in your performance. It's more of like you've fallen away with your faith. Um, like, um, rather than trusting in the Lord and that being evidenced by your life, it's um, you're giving your devotion allegiance to something else. You're going a different route. That's what falling away. Yeah, yep, is. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, we believe in through the baptism, uh, which I know there's different beliefs on baptism, but um, we enter into the family of God. We're as adopted children. And so it's just on the natural level. You think of my children, my oldest is eight, so they basically don't have a choice. But as they get older, um, you know, they and hopefully they won't live in my house forever. But, you know, they as they get a little older and a little more independent, they can walk out the door one day and never come back. Mm-hmm. You know, that never happens. Um, or they choose to live in the house and follow my instruction that you don't hit each other. You don't scream. You, you listen like there's certain rules for us as a family to thrive. Right. And I think it's similar in, in the scripture. St. Paul is very clear on certain moral, moral laws that we have to follow, kind of obligations just to stay within the family. Otherwise, we tear each other apart. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that kind of an idea of, yeah, we can still choose to to say, God, I actually no longer want to follow you. I'm going to go this route. And he's not going to prevent that because God can't force it. If he forces it, then love does not exist. Because if you if you have love, you have freedom, and if you have freedom, that's only when you can love, mm-hmm. right? If I put a gun to someone's head and say, "Do you love me?" That's not love, because that's forced mm-hmm. and co- it's cohesive and it's co- coercion. Excuse me. And so I think it's the same with our relationship with God. Every day, I have I say, God, I choose to serve you this day. I want to be your disciple, mm-hmm. and the only re- reason I can say that is because He's given me grace, which I think any Protestant would probably agree with that statement. Um, mm-hmm. but if I stop loving, then is, do I actually have faith? Mm-hmm. Cause they're so related. Like love is the fruit. So anyways, you know, good question. Thanks. Just to give you a, a, an opportunity to, to respond to this, if you have any thoughts about it, um, in my circles, the response would be, uh, probably taking a verse from first John, um, and there, I believe it's speaking about the antichrist, but it says, um, they went mm-hmm. away from us because they never belonged to us. So in in my circles, the response, if someone fell away, the response would be what well, was never authentic in the first place. Um, sure. And, and that there, there might be other there. Yeah. There would be kind of other things giving a foundation to that, those sentiments, but um, that would be, that's a common verse. Do you have any, just a reply um, to that? Well, I, I think, yeah, that's, and I've, I've definitely heard that, yeah, if, if they never, didn't actually give their, their life to the Lord fully. Um, I think it's interesting because you look throughout history 
and the early church fathers. And um, the idea of sola fide really wasn't a thing um, until, you know, the Protestant church really looked at some of St. Paul's writings and kind of interpreted some of the things he said in that light. And it goes back to, again, who has the authority to actually interpret these things, which is the fundamental question that I think we should be wrestling with. But it's, but it's, it's just, an, I don't know. I don't know how you would, I'd love to how, how you respond to this. If someone surrenders to Christ, it says, I give my life to you. I'm saved. Um, what happens to their free will? Like the next day, if, are they not allowed to decide? I, I changed my mind. Like I, that doesn't logically make sense to me. Cause again, if, our Lord does not force us to choose him. The prodigal son is clear on that. He let his son go to squander everything, but he was looking and waiting. And when he saw his son, he ran to him and he put his best robe on him and he put the ring on his finger and he slaughtered the fatted calf. He celebrated that his son could have gone again. And I think it's like we, every day we come to the Lord because he wants us to love him. He wants us to choose to love him. And I think if we just said one day I'm in, but then we live and we squander that he'll let us leave. So I, I, I mean, it's I, because he wants us to choose and he's given us our life as our journey to choose. So that's, that's how I see it. So I, I just doesn't resonate or make sense that someone can no longer reject God right. because they had a moment of grace. Right. Um, hopefully they don't. Right. Um, so I don't know how, how that wrestles with that belief or how you would respond to that or how your congregation would respond to is freedom has freedom been taken from them. Right. Um, I would, I don't know. Um, it's not all, uh, just a black and white type of thing in me. I do. Um, you know, there are plenty of scriptural warnings about falling away. I think we should take those seriously. Like we could fall away. Um, and um, I think that's the, the, maybe the danger of, of the perspective of like, you can't like the, I guess um, the perseverance of the saints. Like, I think that's like one of John Calvin's points mm-hmm. of Calvinism that God will preserve you. And I, I think I have a strong sense of God's sovereignty that, um, Yes, I turn to the Lord, but um, a, a strong sense of his sovereignty of being involved in orchestrating everything in my life and sure. that turning and that conversion. And if um, I remain walking with him, I would think of it, you know, I would just have him to thank and thank him for, um, you know, pr- preserving me, keeping me. Um, and, and so forth. So, um, I don't know. There's, there are those, um, warnings that sure make it look like you can fall away, you know, and they're, they're there. Um, so that Mm -hmm. doesn't really answer your question, but that's just, well, I think that's really insightful. And I think even the Corinthians, right, Paul just goes back to them, you know, as they, as they became Christians and then they fell prey to worshiping at the temples again or eating the meat that was sacrificed to the idols, mm-hmm. the gods. And so call, Paul's calling, calls them back in different moments with these early Christians and calling them back. So there's even, even we see then I'm sure people surrendered, but they drift away. And so it's, um, 
I, I think that's that's wise. You're, you're right. There are there are those elements, and so I think it's um, I think it's good. It's always good to read. You know, what did the Christians believe? Mm-hmm. Starting in Acts of the Apostles, and those early church fathers are profound because you really get a sense. Is is the is what are what the, the Catholics believe that because it's been hundreds of years of old guys, you know, popes writing and in, in kind of shaping Christianity, which I can understand, you know, the perception of that. But but I think the fluidity and the integrity of the belief um, from the Acts of the Apostles, and again, we we didn't have the New Testament until 300 A.D. until the church gathered and said this is this is what we believe because there's you know, the, the letters of St. Thomas and all these different kind of um, uh, writings that weren't considered the divinely inspired word of God. So where does that come from? Like some of these questions, I think we just got to wrestle with who, who, who the Catholic church gave us the Bible, right? I mean, I, I don't say that flippantly, but that's just kind of historically how it happened in 300 AD through the councils. Um, so I think there's something we really got to start wrestling with some of the historical elements as well of the Christian, the, the, the birthing of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that. I love that you wrestle with these things and you, you know, I, I appreciate the questions and the openness and the feedback too. It's a, um, the one thing that, that Catholics need to do is to be better Christians. Um, I'll admit that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I guess you could, we could say that for all of us, <laughs> <laughs> probably um, so um, so in evangelism um, just that word implies a message um, mm-hmm. I might be getting this wrong but the euangelion is it like the Greek word for like evangelion. evangel mm-hmm. or something so um mm-hmm. So what is the message? Like, is it the same as when Jesus went out and said, um, the kingdom of God has, is at hand, repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. Is it, um, or or then, you know, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know, this is the gospel I preached to you. And he goes into Jesus's death and resurrection. Um, if you, you were to kind of, um, put the message in a succinct way, just how would you state yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Probably very similar to, to what you would say or what you would hear. It would start with um, God created us out of love. There's no, no other reason. And then we rebelled against him. And in that rebellion through, through Adam and Eve, um, the relationship with God was broken. Right. His presence was removed and he called us back. And he called us back and it just wasn't, we weren't responding. We, we couldn't bridge that chasm that the brokenness, that the brokenness caused between us and God until finally he became one of us in his son, Jesus Christ. And through that, the death and resurrection, he, he has, he has allowed us the opportunity again to have the relationship. He's built that bridge between God and humanity again through his life, through his grace, right? His life now um, is, is, is available to us. And that's what we call grace, but he wants us to desire that. And that's the response that, that surrender that Lord, I want you in my life. And it's in that moment that, that he comes, he comes back. He's healed that brokenness that only God could, could heal. Um, 
and then I think the only difference really would be, I guess that it's it's not a one and done, I don't know, but it's not the sola fide belief, and that the completion would be entering into the family of God, the Catholic Church. So that would be kind of that that next step in walking through that. And I say that not as an not as an arrogance like the Catholic Church is the is better than everyone else, but the belief really that it's the fullness of what the Lord intended. So it's a humble invitation. Um, and I know it's a controversial one, but uh, so I think the gospel, the, the simple gospel message is, is very similar to what you'd see an evangelical say. Um, you know, I think we try to, to mimic very elements of that because it's, it's super creative, super succinct and super impactful. So, yeah. So God created us. We broke the relationship. He came down to die for us. And there's complexities in there that, that help. Why did he have to die and all those different things? But uh, yeah. Um, well, what are your thoughts about enjoying Jesus? How can we best enjoy, you know, just enjoy Jesus, I guess. Um, yeah. So I'll just leave it there. Wow. <laughs> That's a good question. I love it because I know you have a large family and I'd love to to hear if, if, if you want to share too, how you enjoy Jesus as a family. But I think that's a big part of it, you know, creating a, a culture, a life, a rhythm in your family that, that brings Jesus in the center always, because he is our sor- source of joy. And so I think part of it is, is, is speaking to him, talking to him, prayer, mm-hmm. uh, reading, reading scripture, um, as Catholics going, going to him in the sacraments, right? Confession and mass, the Eucharist are, are parts where we believe we're, we're encountering him in a real way, sacramentally. Um, and then living in harmony with Christianity, you know, honoring the Sabbath day. You know, it's a big deal of don't don't make Sunday a day of work. Make it a day of recreation where you are able to encounter God. We talked about beauty, encounter him in, in the beauty of one another or the beauty of fellowship or the beauty of nature or, or whatever it is. And finding those kind of different traditions that help us reflect what it is we believe um, I think is, is, a, is are ways we just enjoy Jesus because, I mean, living with Jesus in the center of our life is how we live a life of joy where we can enjoy each other, right? So I, I don't know. I don't know what – I would love to hear if you have any any thoughts to that question and how you do it as a family. Oh, as a family? Um, I don't know. Um, as a family um, – I try to, I try to enjoy my family. I try to connect with them. We have like a coffee break mid morning where we uh, meet together. We invite the neighbors over. Um, I love it. So, um, that's a big part of it. Just actually being present with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, as far as my thoughts on just enjoying Jesus, I'm trying to um, figure that out and get more. Um, I desire Him more. Um, I've recently been thinking about um, just how life is kind of like two different ways. It's like just getting through and you supply your life with different things that kind of help you, um, comforts, enjoyments, whatever, just to help make life better. And then the other way would be something as compelling as God, um, where 
that makes it all worthwhile and it pulls you forward and it's like a source of delight. And I would like more of that. Um, so thus the question, you know, how to enjoy. I, 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 I mean, yeah, as you mentioned that, obviously this spending the time with someone is how you enjoy it. You enjoy their presence, yeah. which goes back to the prayer of the, just being with the Lord. Um, and then I think related to that is, is not being a caught in the rat race. Yeah of you know comparison to your neighbor or you know that the, the classic that you know keeping up with the joneses but there's some you know that the, the basic christian spirituality is to enjoy jesus we have to try to be detached from stuff mm-hmm. right and so like living kind of a simplified life where you don't always have to have the the most beautiful home or the best car or the best clothes or like the the material things right. or the greatest stake mm-hmm. it's like if we simplify certain things and i think that gives us the freedom to enjoy Jesus more mm-hmm. right? because we're not attached to things of this earth that is drawing away our, our sensational our, and our desires and our attention and our distractions. And we're actually so busy trying to, to do certain things or get certain things that we can't be present with our Lord. And so I think a detachment from these things is also part of, of how we just, we can enter into each other's company more. We can enter into you know, I think part of Christ talks about in the gospels being childlike, right? And I think it's, do you notice the flower when, when it's spring, that first flower that comes up? And are you able to stop for five seconds to look at it? Hmm. Or are you so busy, you don't, ex- you don't even notice it until three months later when it's dying mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You know, I think that's part of it. Can we see the Lord in, 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 in others around us? And his presence in nature and various things, because I, I think that's probably a big part of it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, I think we'll wrap up, Thomas, unless there's any, just anything else on your mind that you would like to, you know, bring up. Gosh, you've, you've hit a lot of things. I'm, I'm grateful for the, the conversation and the, the chance to reconnect with you um, being out here in Denver. So I, I don't get to, to the St. Louis area very often, but uh, thank you for the time and the conversation and the the uh the questions so well i've enjoyed thank you for your witness what did you say oh thank you for your witness well well, thanks um is there anything you want to say as far as people being uh able to get in contact with you or what you are doing any kind of blog or website or anything that you want to mention before we sign off oh yeah thanks you can you can go to faithinathletics.com big thing of what i do is work with college athletes Mm -hmm. and so trying to understand how faith in sports are a beautiful combo. So faithinathletics.com and you can, you can connect with me through that. Um, you can find, you know, my books that on that site as well, but you can find both my books on Amazon as well. That's, that's easy. I've got one book for athletes compete inside. So if you have any young Christian athletes, um, it doesn't get into really any theological things that, that are super Catholic. And then another book for young men, just trying to understand it's called pursuing freedom, trying to understand what is a Christian man yeah. look like. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, faithinathletics.com is probably the best way to track me down. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. God bless you. God bless you too.